portion of God's Word that we'll focus our attention on together this evening, this Maundy Thursday, comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. This meal that you just heard Jesus Institute, we, we call it Lord's Supper. We call it Holy Communion. And just in those two names alone, you hear such a focus on, on, on peace, on unity. Just think about the, the, the name Lord's Supper. Jesus ate this meal, this, this supper, with people he knew and loved. This Passover meal, he, he eats with his disciples. He says, how I've longed to eat this Passover meal with you. Well, when was the last time your favorite supper was a meal that you ate alone by yourself. The, the best memories that I have of, of meals are always with family, always with those that I love most dearly. Just the idea of a supper brings to mind peace and, and unity in a family. And communion is not much, uh, much different, right? In communion, we see that word community, r- relationships between people and in this case in holy communion we are assured that we have a a perfect relationship with our god restored by jesus himself and also a, a relationship with each other unity and peace in the body of christ lord's supper holy communion these names they, they stress unity they stress peace and so that often brings to our mind a question, why is it that in our church, in our Lutheran church, we don't often seem to be stressing those concepts when it comes to Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. Instead of seeming to focus on unity and peace when it comes to Lord's Supper, we seem to be more concerned with differences and separation. We seem to be more concerned with doctrines and and teaching than we are with unity amongst people. Are we missing something? Are we we taking these words of God and, and twisting them and making them out to be something that they're not? Why is it that we take it so seriously? Why do we look at these words that that really divide Christianity? These words, take and eat, this is my body. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood. Why do these words end up doing so much dividing amongst Christians when when they seem so simple? They seem so clear. 
we'll, we'll wrestle with many of these questions tonight and, and more. The words are simple, aren't they? This is my body. This is my blood. In a little while, you'll, you'll hear a reading from the Old Testament book of Exodus where God gives instructions for celebrating the Passover meal. And those Passover instructions were followed for 1,500 years all the way down to the time when Jesus and his disciples celebrated this meal of remembrance, looking back to the night that God rescued his people from Egypt. There was unleavened bread and there were cups of, of wine, grape wine. Jesus takes some of that bread and he breaks it and he gives it to his disciples and he says, this, the bread, is my body. And then he takes that cup that has grape wine in it and he gives it to his disciples. And he says, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood. Seems simple enough, doesn't it? It seems clear. Satan doesn't want you to think so. It's the last thing Satan wants. The, the last thing Satan wants is for you to look at the words of God and say, this is certain. This is reliable. All he wants to do is cast doubt in your mind. It says this, the bread is my body. It says this, the wine is my blood. But is that really what Jesus meant? I mean, isn't that kind of disgusting? Could he have meant something else? I mean, Surely he, he could be using like a metaphor, right? Just, just saying that this represents, that this bread represents my body, this wine represents my blood, this is going to help you remember what I'm about to do for you. It's the same thing Satan did in the Garden of Eden. When he came to Adam and Eve and he said, did God really say, are you sure is that really what he meant? Adam and Eve came back and said, yeah, we're, we're really sure. This is what God said. He said we can't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden or we will die. He will not surely die. They doubted God's certain reliable word. All mankind fell. God takes on flesh and blood. He comes into the world to save us. And what does Satan do? The same thing against Jesus himself. He tries to get Jesus to doubt the certain, reliable word of God. But what does Jesus do? When tempted by Satan in the desert, he says, it is written. It is written. It is written. Satan does not want you to trust the certain reliable words of God. He doesn't want you to think that they're certain and reliable. He wants you to doubt. He wants you to question, to ask, is that really what he means? Could it really be that simple? <laughs> Satan wants you to question. He wants you to doubt. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters, there's nothing to doubt. These words could not be more certain. Jesus takes a piece of bread and referring to it, he says this. And he says, is my body. And then he takes some wine and he says, this 
is my blood. Simple. Clear. Credible, reliable words of God. Words you can trust. So, so let's start right there. Let, let's just start by saying the words are clear and they're simple. This bread is the body of Christ. This wine is the blood of Christ. But you know, there, there's more. These words are so, so comforting especially during this particular time in history. You may be aware that in Matthew's gospel in chapter 18 and in chapter 28, Jesus has some really beautiful promises for his church, for, for you and for me. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, wherever two or three gather together in my name, there I am with them. Matthew chapter 28, after Jesus has been crucified and died, risen from the dead. He's about to ascend into heaven and right before he ascends into heaven, he says, and surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age, Jesus wants his church, you and me, to be absolutely sure that he is with us. Do you have any idea how beautiful those words are, how comforting they are, how unique they are? Amongst all world religions, the teachers of other religions, they taught their contemporaries. And then they died, leaving their followers with teachings, memories. But that's all they had. To, to carry on after, to, to, to follow, to, to learn, to grow in, but that's all they have. Jesus didn't come just to give us new teachings. No, he came to establish a kingdom of grace, a kingdom of glory. He came to establish a kingdom of which he would be the king. Now and forever, Jesus is with his church right now. Jesus is with you, he's with me, he is with us. Really present. Really with us. With those truths, we have nothing to fear. We're not on our own. We're not left to, to deal with this coronavirus. We're not left to navigate these waters on our own. Jesus is with us, alongside of us, always with us. Do you think Satan wants you to be confident of that? I don't think so. He wants you to doubt that in any way possible. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, Jesus is with us to the very end of the age. Sure, that's, he's with us in spirit. He's with us according to his divine nature. No, no, no. You can't divide Jesus. He's both true God and true man. Now, there are some in Christian circles who will say, well, don't you believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Don't you believe in the bodily resurrection? And we'd say, of course. And then they would say, well, don't you believe that Jesus actually ascended into heaven? And we would say, of course. And they would say then that the human nature of Jesus, his body is, is in heaven. 
How can you say that it's present in the supper? How can you say that he's present everywhere all the time? When he says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, he doesn't mean his body. His body's in heaven. Do you see what that does to God's word? It it makes it uncertain. It, It makes us question. So so what does Jesus actually mean then when he says, surely I am with you always till the very end of the age? What does he mean when he says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with them? Is he really here? Brothers and sisters, take comfort. Jesus cannot be separated. You cannot take the God part of Jesus and the human part of Jesus as if they were two parts and separate them. He's 100% God and 100% man. He's one Christ, God, man, but one. This is a mind-boggling truth, something that we really can't comprehend. And yet when Jesus says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, when he says, where two or three gather together in my name, there I am with them, with you, the whole Christ is with you with us. Yes, it is true for a, for a time, you and I are not able to gather together. We're not able to enjoy Lord's Supper together. But that doesn't mean that Christ is absent. That doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. Jesus' promises are certain, reliable, and absolutely clear. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He promises that while we gather together, even while we are apart, that he is with us. These words are certain. These are the promises of your God and mine. And yes, it's true. It's true that in Lord's Supper, this meal that we crave, this meal that we long to gather together for, we are not receiving any new grace We're not receiving a different gospel. We're receiving the same gospel that we have in baptism, the same gospel we have when God's word is preached, the same gospel we have when one Christian forgives our sins in the absolution. It's the same gospel truths that are taught in baptism where we have been robed with Christ's righteousness, cleansed of all of our sins, made a a child of the one true God. These are God's promises to you in baptism. When we hear the gospel preached and we hear that Christ gave his body in death, that he poured his blood out for the forgiveness of all of our sins, when we're assured that his resurrection proves our sins really are forgiven, these too are the, the firm promises of God, certain and reliable And when you sin against a Christian brother or sister and confess your sins to them, when you gather together here and and confess your sins together and I or that Christian brother or sister get to look at you and say, I forgive you all your sins. It's as if Jesus himself were saying it to you, certain and reliable. It it is true that this Lord's Supper is, is no different grace. It's no different gospel. And yet there's a reason that we crave it so much. Think of it this way. Imagine that you owe a bank 
one million dollars. And you don't earn a lot of money. Your, your job pays you tens of thousands of dollars a year, not hundreds of thousands of dollars, not millions of dollars, just tens of thousands of dollars a year. And so you plan, how am I going to pay off this million dollar debt? You, you plan and, and, you, and you work and you try to come up with any way possible to pay off this debt, but you just can't do it. It's not possible. You are shackled by this burden of massive, unpayable debt. But then one day the owner of the bank comes to you and he says, I just wanted to let you know that I took a million dollars of my own money and I paid off your debt. It's paid in full. You're, you're no longer held in bondage by this debt. You're free. How do you feel? How does it feel to have that burden of debt lifted? It's an incredible feeling, isn't it? But the story's not over. The, that owner of the bank, he then places a check into your hands. He says, and not only did I take a million dollars to pay off your, your unpayable debt, but here's another million dollars. You've gone from unbearable debt to unfathomable wealth. This is what happens in Lord's Supper. The payment for your unpayable debt, my unpayable debt, the body and blood of Jesus is placed into your hands, into your mouth, into your heart. It's made your precious possession. You've been freed from infinite, unpayable debt and have been given infinite riches, the priceless body and blood of Christ. Are you beginning to see why we take the simple, clear words of Jesus so seriously? We don't hate unity we don't hate peace. We crave it. We love it. We have it with our God. And we want everyone to have it. But we also love the, the clear words of God in which he assures us that he really is with us, the whole Christ. When, when he assures us that our debt of sin really has been paid and so much so, we've been brought from bondage and given infinite wealth, the body and blood of Christ, the most precious thing that there is, ours. Wow. God's word is certain. There is nothing uncertain about it. If anyone says it's uncertain, we have to stay away. Jesus really is with us. If anyone denies that, how sad, how scary, how dangerous to faith. And our sins really are forgiven. There is nothing that must be done. The body and blood of Christ has paid for all of your sins and is now your possession. And, and we wait. We wait to gather again here at Mount Olive to enjoy the Lord's Supper together once again. But in the meantime, 
Don't forget that Jesus is with you. Don't forget your baptism. Don't forget the sure, certain words of God, the absolution you're about to hear in just a few short minutes. Don't forget the meal that awaits forever in heaven, the eternal supper with the Lamb of God himself in the place where there will never again be sickness or suffering or dying, where we will never again be separated, where we will never again have to put our worship life on hold or change our practices. No, heaven awaits because Jesus was both able and willing to give his body and blood for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Amen.